Socialism then is really just a brief segue to communism, the ideology that murdered over 100 million people in the 20th century alone. Although no system is perfect, capitalism, in contrast, lifted more people from poverty than any system in the history of the world during the very same century. Still, with equality, fairness, security, the alleged virtues of socialism, it's no wonder that socialist Fidel Castro, in meeting with Pope Francis, invoked Jesus as the ideal example of socialism. Christ multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed the people. That is precisely what we want to do with socialism. But as Frodo Baggins would say, It would seem like wisdom, but for the warning in my heart. You see, there is one very big difference between Jesus, or God, and a socialist. Where socialists offer totalitarian force, God offers free will. Free will versus force. Voluntary versus involuntary. Freedom versus slavery. Though God and socialism at first appear to be friends, when it comes to preserving free will and freedom of conscience, they are in fact polar opposites. And if opposites, it begs the question, who is behind this enemy of freedom? You may not believe there's a God or a Satan, but what I'm about to show you proves the founders of socialism believed in both. Welcome to We Are The People Radio. This is your host, Jason Preston, and again with my beautiful wife and co-host, Alexia Preston. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. You sure are. <laughs> uh, well, we want to thank everyone for joining in. Today, we're going to be talking about some very controversial things here in Utah, but I also think something that is extremely important to understand. Um, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the new hire for the, that the church has for their communications director. And obviously that sparked a lot of controversy, and, but we're going to talk about it from a different perspective because I think this is a much part of a much broader discussion that we're going to jump into. Uh, but uh, first off, uh, I want to uh, just make sure you're following. Go to our website, wearethepeople.org. All of our socials are there. You can also follow our, our uh, newsletter there uh, if for some reason they cut off one of our channels again or something happens. That's the best thing is just sign up for our newsletter so we can send out these videos to you directly. I uh, also want to give out a shout out and a, and a huge thanks to Castle Rock Interior Floorings. Uh, I know we've we shouted them out because, again, we, they're one of these few that have stuck with us uh, through the good times, the bad times, and sometimes the bad times, sometimes you lose some people. <laughs> That's what makes them the bad times. So shout out to Castle Rock. Thanks for fighting with us. And uh, Alexia, you want to introduce our uh, rock star of a guest today? Absolutely. It'd be my honor. So Greg Matson, thanks for joining us uh, by, by Zoom, but we actually had the, the privilege of, of being with you in person this last week in uh, Arizona mm -hmm. for the Beneath Sheep's Clothing uh, premiere in Arizona, which was fantastic. So it was great to have some FaceTime with you there. But we'll take what we can get, even if it's a Zoom. Uh, but So thank you for joining us remotely. Uh, he is the founder of Quick Media and the host of its primary show, The Quick Show. Quick Show has over 9 million views and downloads and is the number one independent Latter-day Saint podcast on culture, news, and gospel topics. 
Greg ran a large web development and marketing firm representing the vast majority of the sporting goods industry and some of the auto industry in Newport Beach, California in the 1990s, and then built a wealth management firm in Scottsdale, Arizona, which he sold in early 2020 due to health issues. He has studied the scriptures, history, and philosophy for decades and has a vast knowledge of politically woke ideology. He also seeks and develops interfaith relationships. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Uh, we actually had you in our Thank you, Alexia. I appreciate it. Last time, I believe. In, in the old studio. studio. Yeah, so. we had you. We've upgraded. Yes. But we had you in person there, so that was kind of cool. But we'll, we'll, we'll get you great. in person here one of these days. So pre appreciate you joining it. us. And uh, I thought it was appropriate, uh, given our conversation today, that uh, you know we've been obviously uh, supporting the documentary Beneath uh, Sheep's Clothing, which is a documentary about the Marxist takeover of, of America. And you know, for our listeners and, and viewers, uh, when that is released in a few months online, you, you absolutely have to watch it. Um, because we, we, there's no question where we are at war. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. It actually comes from The Art of War. And it says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And uh, that's what we want to talk about today is, is understanding the enemy. What are we fighting? Who are we fighting? And what I'm going to propose today is actually something very interesting to think about. And what we're going to actually say is that, you know, what we're talking about today with the church, new communication director with the LGBT, you know, things going on there and at BYU, that maybe it's tied to what's actually even going on at the border and what's going on with the crash of our dollar and with the Black Lives Matter movement. And with also with the takeover of our schools, our colleges, our media, the fake news, and, the, and this complete cultural shift, we tend to look at all these things individually and try to fight them. But I think it's important to take a step back and look at, again, knowing our enemy. And today, that's what we're going to talk about is, is who that enemy is and, and what their objective is. Because you can't, we cannot fight this enemy until we understand who they are and what their strategy is. And what I really want to do is start by playing an incredible uh, video. And what, what it talks about is the origins of Marxism, the origins of communism, because it's become so popular um, and it's integrated in everything we see and anything, everything going on in this country right now. So I'm gonna play this for our listeners. You may not believe there's a God or a Satan, but what I'm about to show you proves the founders of socialism believed in both. Where did socialism begin? largely in the dark 19th century mind of Karl Marx. Like many ideologists, he was an aspiring poet, and one of his early poems, The Prayer, gives us a glimpse of what was upstairs. The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. See this sword? The Prince of Darkness sold it to me. Ever more boldly, I play the dance of death. Maybe you're like me, wondering if these words were literal or just merely metaphorical. But consider the following found in the opening page of Marx's infamous Communist Manifesto. It is high time that communists openly, in the face of the whole world, publish their views, their aims, and their tendencies. I'm gonna go with literal, but don't take my word for it. Marx later confessed even more explicitly on two separate occasions. I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. 
The idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization and must be destroyed. My object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Ironically, Marx's own words belie the notion that he was an atheist. Rather, Marx knew God existed and openly sought to destroy his influence on mankind. But Marx wasn't the only founding socialist who warred with God. Marx's close associate, Mikhail Bakunin, had this to say in his unfinished manuscript, God and the State. The evil one is the satanic revolt against divine authority. Socialists recognize each other by the words, in the name of the one to whom a great wrong has been done, Satan. If these words are disturbing, it's for good reason. They're the same words used by Luciferian cults, and call me naive, they may just take the victim mentality to a whole new level. But Bakunin goes even further. We have to awaken the devil in the people, to stir up the basest passions. Our mission is to destroy, not to edify. As revealing as these words are, just wait till you hear from another contemporary and close associate of Marx, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Here's what Proudhon wrote in his book, Hailing Satan as a Friend. Come, Satan, come. Let me embrace thee and press thee to my bosom. Long is it that I have known thee, and long hast thou known me. What would man be without thee? A beast. Theists have their religions, and apparently, so do socialists. It was Antonio Gramsci, a socialist successor to Marx, who declared socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. It will triumph first by capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media. As hard as this pill is to swallow, the founders of socialism and its early successors clearly believed in and held open contempt for God while beseeching Satan in their quest to conquer. And every horrific dictator of the past embraced socialism in one form or another, including the much disputed Adolf Hitler. Since we are socialists, we must also be anti-Semites. Socialism is the final concept of duty. Hitler's propaganda minister also added, socialism is the ideology of the future. And when asked about Vladimir Lenin, he said, Lenin is the greatest man, second only to Hitler. And the difference between communism and the Hitler faith is very slight. Hate. Hate is a word used today whenever someone disagrees with a socialist. But Lenin betrayed this precedent when he said, the goal of socialism is communism and hatred is the basis for communism. Stalin, who came after Lenin, boasted, the devil's on my side, he's a good communist. And finally, Nikita Khrushchev made it crystal clear, if anyone believes our smiles involve abandonment of the teachings of Marx and Lenin, he deceives himself. Time Magazine, of all places, in a 1948 article entitled, Satan and the Socialists, reported on a socialist delegate who addressed the Italian Socialist Party with this disturbing homage. I thank Satan that I have lived to see the day when the great popular masses united in a socialist communist front. I beg Satan to give me six months more so that I shall see the front in operation. Socialism and its apparent love affair with the devil are not just things of distant lands in distant pasts. They are alive and well today even in the United States of America. In 1971, Saul Linsky dedicated his book, Rules for Radicals, to the same devil. Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical 
who rebelled against the establishment so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Among other socialists, Frank Marshall Davis and Saul Alinsky were both mentors and heroes of former US president and candidate Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And to bring it home, just last year, ABC News reported on a government meeting that opened with the satanic invocation, that which will not bend must break. It is done. Hail Satan. If Satan exists, he is undoubtedly a socialist. And if God exists, he is everything socialism isn't. Pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. How many thoughts on that? What stuck out to you? <clears throat> well, I think the main thing is, is, you know, as far as applying these things today, number one, what you'll usually hear when people talk about Marxism and communism is they'll say that if you bring that up in terms of woke ideologies and critical race theory, that you're some type of conspiracy theorist. And, and what's so interesting about that is that if you go and you read, it's like you're, you know, Darren here is pulling in quotes from actual individuals. And, and if you go and you read more contemporary individuals like uh, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk, who are, the, you know, along with uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, they're the ones that founded, along with a couple of others, critical race theory. And they are self-proclaimed Marxists. They, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a, a a conspiracy theory. I mean, they are blatant about it. They want to be called radicals. They want to live in that world of, of, of Marxian, Marxian tenets. Um, when you read their books, that's what they talk about. And, and so it's, it's an odd thing because in the world, you know, you've got those that are the movers and shakers, those that really build the ideology and the philosophies that we are now starting to follow in our culture. And then you've got those that are kind of the army that go push it. And then you've got the vast majority of those that adhere to these things, but they're, they don't know the roots. They don't know the DNA. They, they don't know where this comes from. And, and it's, it's because the ideology tugs on heartstrings and uses empathy, a malevolent empathy to entice you, right? That's what evil is. Evil is not just blatant, usually in front of your face. It is, here's some truth and some light and, and here's a whole bunch of darkness. And I'm going to open up with the light as much as I can and talk about empathy. I mean, imagine yourself in 1917 in, in Russia as, as Lenin is starting to take over in October. And you have communists then at that time that come along and they say something to the effect of, well, if you believe in helping the poor, then you're going to join the Communist Party. And if you don't join the Communist Party, then you don't believe in helping the poor. Right? These are very similar arguments. Back then, it was just a class struggle. Today, it's a cultural issue more than anything. That goes right along with racism. That goes along with homophobic uh, uh, accusations. That goes along with a lot of you know climate. It goes along with all these other things that are being used to tug on your heartstrings first and then open up a whole world of totalitarianism yeah and i think it's important to understand i appreciate you bringing up you know soviet union because that was exactly what they did is is they had the you know the intellects go out amongst the the poor and say the reason you are poor is because of the middle class it's the kulaks and they put a labor on them the kulaks the or in today you call them the cis white male um the patriarchy it's because of the patriarchy the, the kulaks that you are oppressed 
And basically they rose them up and from the bottom, they came and started burning down their homes. And, the, and then they had the top down to our totalitarian state come. And what it is, it crushed. And that's how we had 100 million people end up being murdered by these regimes. You know, Alexa, my friend, Sikh from Cambodia. And um, Paul Potts took that same philosophy there. And he went out amongst the, far, the, 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 the peasants and raised up an army of people who were victims and said, you're the reason you're victims is because of the middle class. And then once he had that army of victims, they came in and they were able to overthrow the, the stability of the country, the middle class and collapse it. And, and again, millions of people were then killed by that, that ideology. And I think that's the, you know, the thing that is, they, when they looked at America, in fact, I want to play a quote from uh, Ezra Taft Benson, because Ezra Taft Benson was very concerned about these things. Um, in fact, he met with Khrushchev. Uh, and Ezra Taft Benson, for those who don't know, he was a secretary of agriculture. And uh, Khrushchev came over here to learn about agriculture, and they had a conversation. I'm actually going to play that. The heart-rending results of the loss of freedom. I have talked face-to-face -face with the godless communist leaders. It may surprise you to learn that I was host to Mr. Khrushchev for a half day when he visited the United States. Not that I'm proud of it. I opposed his coming then, and I still feel it was a mistake to welcome this atheistic murder as a state visitor. As we talked face to face, he indicated that my grandchildren would live under communism. After assuring him that I expected to do all in my power to assure that his and all other grandchildren will live under freedom, he arrogantly declared in substance, you Americans are so gullible. No, you won't accept communism outright, but we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you'll finally wake up and find you already have communism. We won't have to fight you. We'll so weaken your economy until you fall like overripe fruit into our hands. Tell me, tell me that is not where we are today. Prophetic. And, you know, he talked about in the 60s and you look in the 60s what they were doing and, and uh, you know, started with the, the feminist movement. Um, and again, understanding Lenin and, and their philosophy, Lenin said this, true liberation of women, true communism comes only when and where the masses rise up against small scale households. You know, communism realizes that for that the enemy to... The all-powerful state is two things. It's families and it's God. And uh, one of the things that people don't realize is when you start to read the quotes of a lot of these the feminist leaders, the feminist movement, they were they were all about devout Marxist. And just a few things, I just want to read some of the quotes from some of these people because you need to understand what happened in America. You know, because, because Ezra Ben says, we'll, we'll, we'll do it one little bit at a time. This is a quote from uh, Functions of the Family, Linda Gordon. Says, the family must be destroyed. And whatever, and, and people must find better ways of living together. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families is now an objective revolutionary process. Families have supported oppression by separating people into small isolated units, unable to join together to fight for common interests. Again, the problem when, with Marxism in America is how do you rise up the middle class against, how do you rise people up to the middle class when America was 
a booming middle class. That's all it was is a strong middle class. I mean, that we don't have a lot, a lot of poor relative to some of these other countries. So who do you get to rise up? They tried to use, you know, the race back in the 60s. It didn't work. So then they said, all right, let's get the women to rise up against the men and let's create divorce and start breaking up the family. Um, Margaret Sanger, um, again, founder of Planned Parenthood. One of the most merciful things a large family can do to one of the, its infant members is kill it. Um, here we go from, uh, I'll just read, uh, we'll, 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 we'll finish with this last one. Um, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not live individually with, with men. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. Why? Because that is the Marxist way. Create people who are victims and who are oppressed and then get them to rise up against the, the, the foundations of the country. And the last thing, God is going to change. We women will change the world so much that he will not fit in it anymore. That's Naomi Goldberg. And these, these are all the founding, founding women of, of, uh, of, of the feminist movement. And you, look what the, and you look at how successful they've been from the 50s and 60s. You know, the family's falling apart. And, uh, and that brings us to, so you can see Black Lives Matter is clearly, you know, a, a tool of a Marxist tool to, again, as soon as Flo, uh, Floyd died, what did they do? Raise up everybody to overthrow the system. Well, how about the LGBTQ movement? And that's where I want to get into right now. Uh, and, and if anyone starts to dig into that, they are, there is no, they're unabashedly Marxist. They are unabashedly Marxist and, ha and want to end capitalism, which is why they'll fly, fly the communist flag. But right here, if you go to Marxist.com, it um, says the struggle against sexual discrimination is linked to the struggle against class society in, gener in general for several reasons. First, it is the only, anyways, they go on to talk about the whole purpose of the LGBT movement is what? To create victims, to create people who are upset with the current order of things and disrupt it. And the last point I want to bring out, then I want to get into what's going on here in our backyard is when we had that show with Michael Yon. Uh, he's down on the other side of the border and he's talking about these uh, hundreds of thousands of people that are coming across the border. And he said, Jason, one of the things that they're not telling you in the media is they're bringing these people up and, and they're spending time indoctrinating them and telling them, this is straight of his mouth, that when the time comes and America falls, these homes will be yours. That, that is exactly what Stalin did. That is exactly what Lenin did with the Kulaks. It is tear down the middle class and then the, and then the, and then the, all the people who are oppressed overthrow it and, and they, be, they, they take over, they take, they take it over. So to me, it's important because it's, it's, it's important to look at all these different facets. They're not, un, they're all connected when you look at it. And when we come and look at where we are here in Utah, um, and this is where I really appreciate you, Greg, because you've done such a great job talking about this, the Marxist takeover of, of well, of what's gone on in, in the churches. And that's one of the things that even Ezra Taft Benson said is they, they, that one of the strategies of the Marxists is to take over and infiltrate churches. Would you mind sharing with uh, our listeners, what have you seen? Let's start with BYU, because that's one spot I never expected to see the Marxist infiltration. Yeah, can I back up just a little absolutely, bit first? Absolutely, absolutely. So I want to address what you said uh, on this. Um, 
first of all, I, I think also, again, when you look at the, the whole issue of empathy and how this is used, I mean, this, this is what was used in the revolution. It was, it was empathy and force. And, and that's, that's exactly what gets used today. We've gone mostly with the empathy and we haven't had as much of the force. What we have that is leading to the force currently is, is shame, right? It is, it is shame that is put in place, cultural shame that is put in place. The, the force comes later on. But what you say about feminism is interesting because critical race theory, which is just basically a part of cultural Marxism, is really the launch of where we are today. What you had in the 60s and 70s was a, a big change in culture. What we're having today is, is, at, is moving at light speed, right, compared to what was going on in the 60s and 70s. But the reason is because it's focused on the culture much more. And so critical race theory is founded on critical theory, which is cultural Marxism. It's founded on radical feminism, as you said, and then you add postmodernism, which is another leftist philosophy that brings all these things together. And it's, it's kind of like a virus that mutates, right, eventually, and it just gets stronger and stronger against its host. A, a, it has to have, a virus has to have a strong host. And so a strong host, a healthy host is, is the West, the United States, the church, Right. These are places that you have really strong hosts that a virus is going to seek and want to move into because it has to have that. It can't survive. China can't survive as a purely communist country today. It has to have some capitalism and, and all the trade it has with the West or it would implode because a virus can't live by itself. It just can't do it. So it has to live off of this healthy host. I want to back up even further a little bit because. The idea of victim and oppressor, right? It, that that's, This does not start with Marx. He articulates it. He develops it. Again, it's, it's, the, it's the whole idea of the virus becoming stronger and, and mutating. But we can go all the way back to Cain and Abel. And where you don't call that Marxism, it is envy. It is, oh, Abel offers a better sacrifice than what Cain offers. And so what does Cain do? He's going to pull down the order. He's going to pull down the righteousness, and he will get the gain out of it, right? This, it's critical theory. It's the same exact thing. It's the, it's a, and this is the first real example outside of the garden that you have in humanity of, of what's going on, and look what it is, right? It's the same exact thing. We get the same thing in the, in the war in heaven previously to this. So this is a strain, this is a struggle of good and evil, and this is how the adversary operates from the very beginning. It doesn't change, it just mutates and gets stronger and better. Uh, sorry about that tangent, but anyway, no, no, so it's, it's going on to BYU, it's, look, BYU is still one of the better places to go for, for school. You've got great professors there, I know a number of them, but... Um, BYU is part of the academic establishment. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, well, all of these things that are fomenting, all of these big changes in the culture, they come out of academia, right? And so that's why I call it the religion of academia. This is where it, it foments. This is where it builds and where this is where it sprouts up out from. So imagine BYU, they, want, they have a certain mission and they're trying to follow it. And you've got really good people in the higher ups that are trying to carve this, 
this way forward. It's a very, very difficult task, very, very difficult task to do what they're trying to do. And, and, and yet BYU is trying to be a, a, a legitimate, you know, um, esteemed university within this world of academia. Well, how do you do that when most of academia now has ad- adopted this religion of wokeism and, you know, their newsletters, their organizations that the faculty are, are part of, the, uh, um, their, their teachings wherever they went to school and then came back and started working at BYU, right? This is, they're all receiving this indoctrination and, and this influence on a, on a regular basis. If they want to get published, if they're researchers, if they want to get published, if they want, you know, any of these things, you've got a kind of virtue signal. You've got to kind of adhere to a number of these policies, procedures, this worldview that exists in academia. So you do have a number of professors at BYU that are from that world and want to see a big change at BYU. And, and they express this to their students. They, they, they work together. Um, you can see it on their social media. It is blatantly, uh, much of it is very blatantly anti-gospel, anti-church, and anti the mission of BYU. Do you have some examples of, of what uh, is happening there? Um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't have that screenshot, that one screenshot, but let me give you a few examples here of, of, of kind of what's going on there. So we've got, and I have, I've got a number of people that I know there, I've got students, I've got faculty, I've got administration, people that I talk to. Um, and I have, you know, always evidential, I, I get the evidence on all of these things, but you've got teachers that are teaching pro-abortion. Um, you've got, you've got teachers that are teaching pro-transgenderism, right? That, that minors should get a a, uh, uh, a transition if they want it and that they should be pushing against the parents. You've got um, the church teachings. This is the hard part. You've got oh, the tra- the uh, gingerbread man, right, which yeah, is what Jesus, has been taught in one of the classes. Yeah, the, the gingerbread man, so to speak. And it's where, where you have someone who has no gender and they're teaching that, that Jesus really doesn't have a gender. That's been taught at BYU. Um, you, you have, um, whiteness activities, right? Where the teacher will say, okay, I want you to, here is an activity sheet. I want you to go out along the, around the campus in BYU. And I want you to write down incidents of whiteness that you see. I mean, imagine taking the whiteness in that and saying Jewish, I want you to go out and I want you to write down incidents of Jewishness that's going out there. It's absolutely crazy. You have incidents of being, you know, uh, students being moved around in a classroom based on their privilege. How far do you step forward and who has to be remained back and who has what the mean, most privilege in the what class? Are, what are you talking about moved around based on their privilege? So you'll, what they'll do is they'll line up all the students in a line or a couple lines at the back. And then they'll say, okay, how many of you have two parents in the home? Take a step forward. Um, how many of you grew up in a middle class to upper class um, uh, upbringing, take a step forward. How many of you are white? Take a step forward. And so you get that disparity, right? You get those different, it's intersectionality. Everybody gets moved and then you get a totem pole basically 
of privilege. And, and of course, the ones that are looked down at and have the fingers, the, the proverbial finger pointing at them are the ones toward the front. Yeah, those are the kulaks. Because they're the ones that have all the privilege. Those now, the there's one kulaks. thing to say, okay, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to say, look, I mean, we need to learn to be humble and you need to learn to realize that other people don't have certain things. And, but, but that's called charity. <laughs> that's, that's a completely different thing. And, and it's like, no, what you do is you teach charity. You don't, you don't discriminate everybody and, and separate everybody into ites, right? And, and uh, different groups. But those are, those are, that's just a, very, a handful of, of a number of things that go on there, um, especially in the social sciences department. Yeah, actually. And, and okay, meanwhile, maybe. you're also in political science. Just this week, it came out there's going to be a, a new BYU course, a philosophy course on Taylor Swift. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the idea of, of what is being taught at BYU right now, um, and this is a political science professor that's teaching this course. So, um, the philosophy of Swifty is, is what they're is that calling, what they're calling that. it. The philosophy of Swifty? Swifty, yes. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I was over there today. And um, just because I've seen, I've seen on, on your show and other places some of these examples, and I just want to say, is, is this really there? And, uh, you know, you can go and, and you've got, and I, I'll put this like rainbows, safe space. You've got um, everyone is welcome here with all, with all sorts of, I mean, rainbows. And <laughs> I mean, there's everything. It's, it is just rainbows on these, on these doors, on these teachers' doors as you, as you walk down the hallway. Uh, how to be an ally. Um, it is just, I mean, the doors are covered with this Marxist LGBT um, propaganda. It's, 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 uh, it's really just shocking because to me, I, it has no place in our, in our schools. And especially, I guess that's the thing that surprises me is, you know, what's the purpose of having a private school if you're still going to conform to the rest of the world? Yeah, they're you know they, they take their mission from a couple places. Once one is uh, J. Reuben Clark back earlier in the 20th century, and then from a talk given by Spencer W. Kimball in the 70s. And um, the the issue is, is back then the religion of academia didn't dominate academia, uh, and, and now it does. But so they're still trying to hang on to that mission. It's a great mission. It's it's trying to be an elite type college, but hang on to its standards. And, and like I said before, it's, it's a, I'm not saying it's impossible because I'm not the person in charge of it. I don't, I don't have inspiration for those things, but it's a very, very difficult thing to accomplish. And, and there are really good people that are trying to do this, but it is a gargantuan task to, to make this happen. Yeah. I'm trying to find there. I know there is, um, I think, beginning of last year, they brought a uh, professor, um, someone who spoke it to Barack Obama's, or Joe Biden's in inauguration, who was a devout Marxist. They had him there, one of the keynote speakers. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can find his name here in a little bit, but so yeah, I know who he is. just, what was his, do you remember his name off the top of your head? I don't, I don't remember his name right now. Uh, oh, you, you remember that coming up? I'll um, get it and I'll put it in the video, but yeah. you know, but that's my question is, is why? And, and it's, it, it just feels to me like there has been a real effort to infiltrate BYU and, and the culture here. And, you know, we, we go out, uh, my dad, daughter and I will go out and we'll do street interviews. Just interview is we found it actually fascinating interviewing people at BYU 
and asking them simple questions about transitioning. Do you think if a child and the teacher want to transition and the parent disagrees, do you think that the child should be able to do that? And the majority of the kids said yes. And that's yeah. to me why this stuff matters is because if the teachers are teaching this, this is getting pushed into the future leaders of, of the world. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's... And the church. And the church. So any thoughts on BYU before we shift gears, Alexia? No, I mean, I'm just digging into the article, the Salt Lake Tribune article, because I'd, I'd love to get into that. Uh, and the new LDS church uh, communications director, because I think that's that's where this all meets at a crossroads uh, today. So um, I actually think the Salt Lake Tribune article was pretty fair in, in how they've uh, represented some of the criticism that's come online if we were ready to. Yeah, I, I would like to do this, Greg, because you did a phenomenal breakdown of some of the social media around this. Would you mind breaking down, and if you have the images, sharing with our, our viewers, who who the new church communications director is and, and why why there appear to be some red flags? Or not appear, there are clear Yeah, so, they, you know, it's, it's Aaron, Aaron Sherinian, and uh, can you see that? Yes. Okay. So this is an example of... Uh, of some of his social media here. Um, this is at a pride and climate uh, protest at, in Washington. Um, but this is, you know, uh, there, there's a few things that are interesting here. You've got love conquers hate here, right? This is going to be for the LGBTQ people. But even back in here, you can see a climate. It's not very mm -hmm. clear here, but this is a climate. All of these things run together, right? They're all part of the same type of ideology. And a lot of them are pushed at the UN, the United Nations. And, and he, uh, uh, Brother Sherinian, has worked at the United Nations for a number of years. He uh, was the communications director for what is called the United Nations Foundation, which was founded by Ted Turner. And uh, he is definitely one that goes along with the 2030 agenda. Um, and this isn't from a long time ago, just a long time ago. This is very recent. I, I pulled up a speech that he gave in December last month, um, very focused on um, uh, sustainability and development, which is what is what the 2030 agenda is called with the UN. And there's a lot of a lot of issues there. Connor Boy, I could talk about how he, he is a globalist. Well, it, it appears that way. He's very focused on this same type of agenda that a globalist the globalists are 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 focused on, but you can see some of the uh, hashtags here at the bottom. You've got climate, hashtag climate, hashtag activism. Which is Marxist. Right, and then kids, yes. family, philanthropies, whatever that means, right? And then you've got another one here at a pride, he's wearing pride on, stuff I'm, here. I wanna pause and hit, to, to talk about the UN, because yep. some of the past uh, leaders of the church actually called UN, the UN a satanic organization, and were completely against it. I mean, they're pushing, they are pushing these global, all these agenda 2030, the move to this digital currency, all the things that are like terrifying, the United Nations is is behind. And to see these connections with him, it, it, I mean, I don't know, I just, I, very concerning. Yeah, it, it's suspicious. There's no question. And that's why a lot of people have questions about this. I mean, we'll go through some of this, this other social media and, and his connections with the UN. It, it's, it is you know, look, I mean, I, I'm not questioning the hire in, in the sense of, you know, it's, I have nothing to do with it. I mean, they can make the decisions they have. But what is right? I mean, the fruit of this is confusion to some people. 
because they don't understand, well, why is this someone we're getting, um, uh, you know, from, from the pulpit? I mean, we had three talks in, in October general conference on, uh, the family proclamation and, and, and marriage being between a, a man and a woman. And um, that's not what at least he has believed in the past. I, I, I can't say what he's going to believe today, um, but it's, it's very, he's very much on the other side of, of protecting that type of marriage, right? Um, and the UN is, um, look, they've got, they've got 17 major goals. They started this in 2015, so it's been eight, almost nine years now. Um, they're, they're, so they're almost halfway through this. They're pretty much halfway through this, a little over halfway through this. They're trying, there's 167 points under these 17 goals that they're trying to get out there. Um, it, when you really study it and look at it, it's like, well, wait a minute here. This, this is, why is a central organization in charge of doing all of these things and requiring all of these things from all the countries in the world? And, and if they're going to accomplish it, if they get to it, because they, it, it, the only way that happens is by rule, right? You, you do it yes, by rule, yeah. by joining in with them or being told what to do. And so it, it, it definitely severs the idea of sovereignty for a nation uh, if, you're, if you're underneath, you know, what they're, what they're trying to accomplish here. It, it definitely threatens the idea of sovereignty on that. So, uh, you know... And he's definitely on board with that. I mean, of all things, he is definitely on board with that 2030. I have seen num I've seen three different speeches from him. All of them, he brings up uh, uh, development and sustainability yeah, on, on that. And this, and, uh, and this is basically what the current social credit system is in China. It's e it's pushing ESG tied to your, you know, social credit score and everything you do. And, and that, you know, you cannot buy or sell when they do have that digital currency. If, if you're not a good global steward, it's, uh, I mean, that's it's, right. It's, it's a credit score. ESG is exactly that for core. You know, look, they've got everything for different, different sectors of, of American life or in, in, in the West, right? You've got ESG for the corporate world. And by the way, Utah, there in Utah, you happen to have one of the best fighters against ESG in Marlo Oaks. He's the tre Utah State treasurer over there. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, he's very, he just, he just uh, last month, he was just uh, in front of Congress testifying on this and may have had some help in actually stopping some things happening that just happened yesterday, actually. And, um, but you've got ESG there in school, in K-12, you've got SEL, you've got ethnic studies, You've got critical race theory. You know, these are all things that are adopted and pushed by the unions and, and by the states. I have read thousands and thousands of pages that would put anybody to sleep on the state curriculum for ethnic studies in California, in Arizona, in Utah. Utah is one of the worst, by the way. And Illinois, Florida, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's all about leftism. Right. It, it, that's the push. It's not, oh, I want to learn about another culture oh. or even my own culture. It's how do I learn to follow a certain indoctrination? And again, the purpose that. And, uh, and so they have, and they, these things are all built in through the Agenda 2030. They all help support that. And, and, the end and goal so it's, uh, there's definitely a tie there. Yeah, and the end goal with getting to Agenda 2030 is, is the Constitution stands in the way of it, is you have to overthrow this, the, the foundation of America so that we will hand over our sovereignty to an international body. 
So show us. Yeah, well, if you end up with a with a, a, a stalemate, right, where, where we're not following some of the 17 goals and we don't follow them because as a democracy, we vote not to, then you've got, right, wait a minute here, what's going on? So something's got to give one way or the other. And that's the thing is where is our allegiance to as, 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 as individuals, as a, as a nation, as, as members of the church, is it to the Constitution, which which is the opposing force to Marxism? You know, Marxism clearly is, as we started in the beginning, is inspired by the adversary. What's the, what is, the, there is duality and everything. The, the opposing force is the Constitution, which has brought more light and liberty and, and prosperity in the world than any other, in any other document in the history of this world other than the Bible. Is our loyalty to the Constitution, or is, are we just shifting loyalty to the United Nations? And it feels like we're shifting loyalty to this group of unelected globalists. And I, it clearly, this communications director falls in, in that camp. Yeah, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely a follower of, of that agenda. I mean, there's no question. You can't go and listen to him. He, he brings it up every time I've seen, I've seen something on him. So it, it's... He, he definitely buys into it. Let's share a few more of his posts, and then I want to talk about uh, what that means with him being there. Sure. Um, all right, so got this, and then uh, uh, this is him on Twitter, and this is uh, Chris, Mo- Chris Mosier on making history as the first trans member, member of Team USA. Right. And so he's got hashtag trans is beautiful. And again, I mean, this is not about, you know, loving somebody that's a that's a trans person. This is about an agenda. Right. Transgender rights are human rights. That's a very common statement um, that is made in the trans movement. Right. Join us in standing up for trans rights. Never, you know, isn't it interesting? It's never about trans duties or or responsibilities. Right or human responsibilities. It's always about rights. Um, and, uh, and then uh, down below here, you've got the UN. There you go. The UN weighs in. Caitlyn Jenner's bravery and how to support the entire global trans community free, at free equal at Global Daily, right? So that, that's another one there. Um, this is the White House. This is during the time of the uh, of, of gay marriage being same-sex marriage getting put through. Around 2015, uh, way to go, SCOTUS. Gay marriage now legal across all 50 states. And he's got the picture of the uh, the White House here with uh, the pride colors on it. What's interesting here is that there was an amicus brief that was filed by the church at this time against this. And he's still supporting it on the other side. Right? There was an amicus brief filed by the church in regards to same-sex marriage with the uh, SCOTUS. And uh, he's obviously on the other side of that. So anyway, that's just a few of them that uh, that I had had. So there have been several people that have been outspoken on this, probably none as much as, as you, Eric Mutsos, and, and Connor Boyack, as, as the Salt Lake Trib article points out. In Eric's words, would you call this someone a radical activist on woke issues, or is this something less extreme than, than Eric calls it? I think that's a good question. I don't know if I would use the term radical um, because that has a lot to do with what he's doing in his activism. Um, but the causes he's supporting are radical for sure. You know, it's interesting. You right. These are, these are, 
radical causes. And you, you look at something like the pride flag or the pride colors here, and yet there's a lot of people that use that. They've got a, a, a trans kid or they've got a gay gay child, and, and they want to make sure they love them and accept them, and regardless of what their attraction is to somebody else. But it doesn't just represent that. It, it's so much more than this. And, and going back to your idea, your, your, your thoughts on the strain of Marxism, you know, that has always been coupled with it, right? Marxism and critical theory, when we go back to victim and oppressor, part of that is the idea it's not liberty, it's liberation, right? It's liberation. Liberation over what? Liberation over the oppressors and throwing off the shackles of everything that constrains you. And part of that is your sexuality. And so if you read Marx, if you read especially Engels back then, Marx and Engels, you go through Gramsci, you go through Horkheimer in, in, the, in, in, in uh, the Frankfurt School, or, and Marcuse is ridiculous with this, they're all pushing for this throw-off of the shackles of sexuality and any kind of family order. And, and, and that's where we are today, right? It, it's, that's part of the same strain. So when you talk about the LGBTQ uh, movement. It's not just, it's not saying, oh, we're going to love somebody. It, it goes well beyond that. Eventually, it gets to being anti-family. And, and it's about throwing off, honestly, when you come right up to the church and Christianity, it's about throwing off the commandments. Look at the fight right now already, even internally in the church to some degree with some members, of of Cosmo. changing the law of chastity, a Cosmo, right? The, so we uh, got to throw off the law of chastity. Yeah, yeah. So so what does that mean? I mean, he, it's funny you asked, you brought that up, Lexi, because right before you said that, I actually wrote he's an Aaron is an activist. Was uh, was Gordon Bowen? Was he the one of the past direct uh, communications directors? I don't. I'm not familiar with that name. You should be. Um, and our listeners should be familiar too, because Gordon Bowen, I, I know he was the one that re, that redesigned the church logo back when it was um, all like four or five lines to redesign it to like to Jesus Christ being much bigger. Um, Gordon Bowen, um, <clears throat> if you go back and watch some of our shows, he was clearly involved with homosexuality. Uh, he was involved with some of these ritualistic things. I mean, there is so much out there on him, and it's like, what is the church doing surrounding itself? With one guy who is is who who has there's a lot of evidence of him being a, literally a Satanist, and then you've got this guy who's an activist for a UN um, LGBT activist. I mean, it's again, this is not about homosexuality. This is not you know I'm very libertarian minded. To me, it's this is I don't care about someone if they want to have that if homosexuality is their thing. This is about an ideology that is creating resentment and tr trying to overthrow the foundation of our country. That's right. And yeah. why are we partnering or bringing in, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that, that, we, that the church would bring in this surrounding themselves with someone like Gordon Bowen and now this activist? Well, yeah, I can't really remark on Gary Bowen. I, I don't know that. But, but well, you let's, know, let's on this, I don't then. know. I don't know. I, I, I have to, maybe they didn't know enough about this, which is strange, I think, because, I mean, when they announced him, they conspicuously left out his experience at the UN, which would be a pretty big deal on a resume. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, I'm, I'm sure it's because he's, uh, look, I can tell and looking through a number of things and talking to people that know him, he's very good at what he does. 
right? So as far as like, oh, I'm qualifying for a job, he has unbelievable contacts worldwide. And, and he's very good at what he does. And he's accomplished an awful lot. And that's probably, I'm guessing, all I can do is guess. Yeah, that's probably what they're looking at. Um, I, I, I can't say. I don't know. All I know is what is and uh, what, what these ideologies have done to other institutions well, and, 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 and uh, other countries. So what is the, exactly the role of, of communications director? What exactly is that role? What does it mean? Well, I would is... imagine they would oversee the PR for the church and, and all of the initiatives for public branding of the church. Yeah, there's a number of things that they're over. I mean, they, they look at the messaging that goes out from the church. Um, you got press releases. You've got uh, they're the they're the they're the face of the church out to the world, basically. So they're going to be uh, PR. Um, they build relationships with media companies. Um, that's some of the things that I know of. Because on one hand, you know, the, and you brought up the church talks about the pro family with proclamation to the world that uh, the family is ordained of God and that that gender is, is eternal. And I believe all those things. Um, but then on the other hand, we hire someone as, as in one of the most important roles to represent the church who is an, who is a globalist Marxist activist. And when you understand, again, that Marxist Marxist is a satanic, has satanic roots. It is the polar opposite of, of the Constitution and of God. I just, I, and especially then you look at Gordon Bowen, I'm like, why in the world is the church, you know, and I'm not one to question, but I, but I do have a conscience. I do have the light of Christ within me. I do, you know, and I, and I think that's one of the things the church teaches is, you know, we, when the prophet says something, we pray and receive revelation. That's Nephi and Lehi. It was a very clear pattern. And I think a lot of people are just very confused by this, you know, and, and including myself. And um, and I, that's why I really appreciate your thoughts and your insights. Um, yeah, tell, tell us more. Tell us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I got, there was another Salt Lake Tribune that mentioned me, an uh, article that mentioned me a few months back. And because and, uh, I had said uh, to one of their reporters, I said, uh, you know, there's a, there's a spiritual side and a corporate side to the church. And uh, there's a BYU professor that came back and said, no, that's not true. And, and you know, something to that effect. And, but I think there is. And, um, you know, here's what I look at, you know, and, and I'm, and this is, I'm doing exactly what I think the prophets have said, what the scriptures say. And, and that is, I'm going to read the scriptures and I'm going to follow the scriptures and I'm going to listen to the brethren at general conference. And, and those, that to me is the message to the church and, and what you're supposed to do. And it's very clear, even recently, very recently, all the way up through October, that they are supporting the, the doctrine of the family. They support the family proclamation. Um, they support marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the message that they're giving. So I will cling to that. And uh, understand that there are other decisions that are made for different reasons, and there's a corporate side to the church, and and I, you know, I, I think you've got to separate those things. Yeah, well, let's see what are the reason it's an issue, right? The reason there's questions is because we know you can't look at this in a vacuum. This is what I said in my my podcast, right? This is not in a vacuum, right? This is happening everywhere in every institution in the United States. 
you can't go to a Fortune 500 company now without a DEI office, right? You, you can't go to a school where there isn't some social and emotional learning and ethnic studies and critical race theory being taught in K to 12 in in most of the U.S. Right? You 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 the churches you've got the the, the Church of England is struggling immensely with female priesthood and with the LGBTQ issues. And they've got people dropping left and right right now and other affiliates that are, that have left the church of England. That's happening now. The, the, the Methodist church splitting again, you know, that because of these same issues, right? This is not, this is not in a vacuum. It's like, well, why would this just, those that are concerned are that you can see this, this happening, happening everywhere. everywhere. No, that's a, that's, yeah. that, I, that actually is important to bring that up. This is, like I said, the Catholic Church, every church, it seems, is being taken over. Yeah, the now. blessing of, of same-sex marriage is being talked about in the Catholic Church. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is exactly what they, what they did in, in Soviet Union. They infiltrated the churches. And I, and I guess when you see the infiltration, it's just you want people to stand up and push back. And, and, and I think that's where I'm frustrated because when I see this evil, I know this evil is destroying our country. We look at everything happening. I mean, our children are literally... This is why I do this, is I know what's coming if we don't stand and fight. I know what lies for our children. It terrifies me. And I see that this, you know, again, this is not about homosexuals or, or gays. This is about a, a ideology that is using people, right. black people, anyone who's, anyone, anyone to be not, a, not, oh, just a, a, try anyone, any reason to become a victim. Whatever reason they can come up with, you they want you to be a victim to help overthrow what they would call the patriarchy or the the constitution, which is the foundation of this country. It's and so that's my my frustration is I see it. And I'm, we're trying to fight it in politics here in Utah. I mean, this state, like you said, has been completely taken. And you know, when John Christ came here, a comedian, and, and uh, he comes to Utah, he's like, "Is what in the?" He says, "What in the heck happened to Utah?" He says, "Like, has any state thrown up the white flag faster?" And he, and he talks about how, like, this state used to stand strong against this stuff, and now every neighborhood, everywhere, there's gay flags here, gay flags there, and and it's like, go to BYU's campus, gay flags all over there, and the students talking, you know, talking about, you know, oh, no, no, homosexuality's not wrong, it's only if you act on it, which technically it's right, but it's it's this complete, we are just moving right along with Babylon, right along the edge, and it's like, where is the, where is God's army? Where is the stance of people saying, we are not going to participate in this new global religion. Alexi, what are your thoughts on this? I know you've been uh, re pulling stuff up and thinking here. Yeah, no, I'm I've just it's the concept of maybe what might be defended as worldly cosmopolitanism versus or good global citizens versus this globalist agenda and the distinction between the two and that actually is a PR communications director job is to to shape that narrative. Yeah. So so, you know, it's interesting. We, you've been seeing over the last year the church meeting with the UN, uh, and this is not, you know, specific just to the LDS church as, as someone's from the Jewish faith. I hear this on the high holidays from the pulpit there as well. You hear sermons going about, you know, white supremacy and, and, and suppression and, and feminist ideologies being touted. So this is not just something specific to the LDS faith, but this is Judeo-Christian values and, and understanding how all of these religions have been infiltrated to some level by these globalist uh, ideologies. So, But the spin on it is what I find most interesting, to, to call it a, a form of worldly cosmopolitanism 
um, that we just need to be good global citizens. That yeah. seems to be the narrative that's coming out of the churches. Yeah, that's an interesting statement. I saw that. That's uh, I, 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 that's the one part of the article that I did not like that was in there that uh, that brought that. It's kind of like, well, wait a minute. So what you're saying is kind of like the sophisticated, elite, educated, or this cosmopolitan people, and then the rest of us are knuckle draggers. You know that uh, uh, it, it, that that's just not right. It's kind of like I heard a podcast about this. Uh, yesterday and, and if if you didn't agree with this guy getting hired somehow you were you were a uh, you used the family proclamation as a weapon and you're a uh, oh a desnat you know it's just all these things that are like no there's an awful lot of people here that, that are confused really good people that are confused over these types of things and that are and these these are people that you got to realize again this isn't a vacuum these are people that are affected by this I get so many messages from parents where where their kids they've lost their kids from in the gospel and they, they they're going down bad tracks because they've been they've been swallowed up into these into these ideologies i mean it's absolutely heartbreaking and where do they hear the warning signs from of this yeah because they don't hear it in their schools they don't hear it at work quite frankly they don't hear it much in the church they, they don't. don't hear it anywhere they don't and there's no manual for it hey, you know yeah. so so it's like what what of course they're confused. Of course they're confused about this. And, and it's, uh, there is not a person you can find that either directly or pretty close indirectly has not been affected by what is going on in, in the massive shift in culture in the United States. And, and again, and it's so important people stand, understand Marxism because for Marxism to work, one of the things they have to do is destroy the moral compass of, of society, remove God completely and allow the state to be what they worship. It is easy to rule animals. It is very difficult to rule individuals who have strong compasses that are set to God and understand the value of individual rights and autonomy. And that's what they want. They want us animals. They, they want people who are easy to control. Um, we, we, need to, we need to wrap up here. Greg, would you? I, I, first, I just want to thank you. I, I really, and I would encourage all of our listeners, uh, follow the Quick Show. Um, you know, we, we really try to stay focused on Utah issues, and so this obviously these things come into our realm, that especially when the church is involved, because it is such a part of the Utah culture. Uh, but I look to Greg. You know, when I when I want to know what's going on with with you know what's happening with the church, and I really appreciate your perspective. Uh, so, Greg, would you mind sharing thank your you. final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is this is not some crazy right wing idea. You know, I'm not even honestly, I'm not even that right wing. I'm very much libertarian, and I, I don't. But but you know, this the, the demographics of these things are changing very quickly. It, it you have a lot of liberals, for example, that are homeless politically right now because they don't want to subscribe to the woke ideology. We got a Bill Maher or a Stephen Pinker or Jonathan Haidt or Sam Harris. Even you know, they're they're like. These people have been on the left their whole lives. They're like, what is this place? What is going on? There, there is a massive shift, and, and it is pulling on people's heartstrings through empathy, a fake empathy, without using reason and logic and gospel principles. And so you've got you've to you've be able to stand on two feet with proper principles when these things confront you. And you can't put your head in the sand. Don't, don't. Subscribe to the spiral of silence. You, you, you have, 
you've got to be aware of what is happening because otherwise you're going to be like a whirlwind that's going to affect you at, at your work, in your family, at your church, etc. It's going to be everywhere and you're not going to know what to do and you're not going to recognize it. So, uh, you know, that, that would be my final thought is be aware of what is happening and, and be able to recognize what it is and what the roots are of this. Awesome. Alexia. I think the best way to, to wrap this up is, is to pose a question actually asked by you, Greg, in, in your incredible article. And, and I, uh, I encourage everyone to go check out, uh, Greg's article and show on the new LDS communications director, uh, supporting pride and pronouns. And that question asks, if we can hijack the doctrine of the family in order to love and offer tolerance? And at, at what price are we willing to make those compromises? Are we willing to, to hijack or give up anything that is so fundamental to our core values here? And I think that's where Utah specific, as we look around our own neighborhoods and we see June and the pride flags everywhere here, you know, and these are from regular church going members, you know, and you don't see this in more quote unquote conservative areas of the country. Even Florida. Even Florida. Miami. You wouldn't so, believe it. So why has that been hijacked here? And I think we need to ask that. Is it really the the understanding of love thy neighbor or is it something much more nefarious? Subverted. Subversion. It's, it's, a, it's a niceness culture. It's yes. a niceness culture that is passive. Right? It's a passive niceness. It's not a kindness. It's it's niceness, I think. And it's I, I honestly think that Utah is 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 probably going to have a dramatic political shift over the next eight years. I think I think you're right. I think you're very right. We actually posted something on our social media just recently. I think it was a statistic that showed that in uh, since I believe it was 2020. I could pull this up. That uh, where is it? Oh yeah. This was just the other day. Since uh, Utah has been ranked fourth in the nation for states with the largest political shift leftward between 2000 and 2020, according to research by BYU sociologist. So you're absolutely spot on with that. Yeah, it's, we've become progressive. Yeah, and again, this isn't like, oh, we're going to go be liberals and we want a higher tax or we even immigration. It's, it's, it's the shift is coming from these ide ideologies. And it's coming from. And that's, that's not just regular politics. This is a whole new worldview. And James Lindsay, we had him on the show, and what he talks about is it's what we're seeing in Utah is, is subversion of our values, and 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 we have been subverted. So I, I think you know as as we wrap up, to me again, and I, and I want to really just emphasize this because it is important to to love everybody, and and I I am very much libertarian at heart as well, and I'm like you know do do what you want to do as long as you're not affecting me and my rights, you do you. But the minute you trample on my rights, now we're gonna now now we're up for you know a different story. But there is a war being waged on on the fundamental principles and on and on the Constitution. And all you have to do is look at the streets in 2020, 2021, when the streets were literally on fire. How did we be, how did the streets become on fire? Why where did all these people come from that were burning things down? Where did the division come from? Remember, it wasn't long ago that, that, the, that the majority of the vote in America put a black man in office. How did we go from such a peaceful time when we were healing as a nation to all of a sudden literally war on our streets? And it is because of Marxism. It is they are building an army. And everyone in their army is someone who is oppressed for some reason. They, there's some reason to 
whether it's trans, and they keep finding new different groups to build their army. A boogeyman. It is build the army of oppressed people who want to take the system down. And so to me, when I look at the stuff going on, and you did, you're right, it is, this is a time for people of faith, of all faiths, not to turn on each other. And especially, I think, in Utah, we have to be careful of that because you see this battle of you know, people hating the church and hating each other, and we, that's what we can't do. What we have to do is, is people who believe in the principles of liberty have to start turning together. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care if you're Jewish. I don't care if you believe in God, if you believe that the state works for us, that, they, that our rights come from God and that the state's job is to serve the people and to stay out of our lives. It's time for people of all religions to mend bridges and to face the same enemy. And the same enemy is the enemy is the puppet master who is manipulating and pulling the strings, trying to put us at war. And they're building that army. And what we've got to do is when we see that army being built, not be silent or go along with the ideology. And that's what's going on at BYU. They're raising kids to, to agree with that ideology, to say there's no reason to fight back that there's truth. They are oppressed. They are right. That They have reason to stand up in the streets and to pray. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. But endorsing the evil is a whole nother level, and God will not hold us guiltless for that. So to our listeners, um, gosh, thank you guys. Thank you for the support. Um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for liking. Um, you know, we do everything we can to try to, get, try to help get this information out to people because it's important. This is information warfare. The media fuels this stuff. The media, especially the local media in Utah, they fuel the same narrative. And it's important that we become the media, that you become the media, that you talk to your neighbors and you share what's really going on because the media has been taken and we cannot count on them to wake up people. So, um, Alexia, thank you for being here. Always, babe. Greg, you're, uh, you're incredible. Uh, I just really appreciate everything you do, all the content. Please follow him and please uh, go to our website, Follow us there or on all our social media. And if you want to help us with our cause, uh, please donate. We do need support. And uh, with that being said, what a freaking time to be alive. Who would have ever thought we would see this stuff in our lifetimes? I would have never imagined it. So anyways, God bless you guys. God bless America. God bless Utah. <laughs>